For the week of Thursday, August 23rd, 2018, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. This week, we talk with Indivisible's co-founder and co-executive director, Ezra Levin, about Indivisible's new document, A Practical Guide to Winning Elections, which covers everything from how to best establish and maintain voter contact to how to persuade people to get out the vote. But to boil it all down, the top three things you should do in an election season are number one, knock on doors, number two, knock on doors, and number three, knock on doors. We also have our weekly calls to action with Stephen Wilhelm and our activist calendar of events with Aaron Albanese. That's all coming up, so stay with us. Uh, so before we start our interview with Ezra, I will just quickly mention that we finished recording before all of the, uh, well, everything went down on Tuesday. Uh, Manafort's convictions, Michael Cohen implicating Trump as an unindicted co-conspirator, uh, even GOP Congressman Duncan Hunter and his wife getting indicted for illegal use of campaign funds. So I did not get a chance to ask Ezra for his reactions to all of that. But uh, you can, of course, always check his Twitter account, at Ezra Levin, and in as much as what happened on Tuesday pertains to the discussion that you're about to hear about turning out the vote, uh, it doesn't take a lot of heavy lifting to see that what just happened is very pertinent to the work that we all need to do to flip every seat we can in favor of the Democrats. So in any event, on with the show. So with Washington's primary behind us, indivisible members here in the state are now finally getting to turn their attention to the November midterm. And uh, as the saying goes, elections are not won in November, meaning there is a lot of work to do between now and then. But there might be a little uncertainty about which strategies and tactics are most effective. And so to address that, Indivisible has just put out a document on their website called A Practical Guide for Winning Elections. And to talk about this, we are joined by someone for whom listeners don't really need an introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. Ezra Levin is the co-founder and co-executive director of Indivisible. Ezra Levin, thank you so much for joining us. Love being here. Thanks for having me. So, you know, first, I know that you and Leah just got back from a road trip to Tennessee where you got a chance to put into action a lot of the strategies that you lay out in a practical guide for winning elections. And we'll unpack the guide in just a moment. But um, by the look of your Twitter feed, it seems like you were encouraged by what you saw getting accomplished down in Tennessee, right? Yeah, it was actually, it was a phenomenal trip, you know, during the... uh, 100-day before-the-election weekend of action that we did back in July, we went and did a similar road trip in Texas. And I got to say, a lot of the lessons out of Texas are similar to what we're seeing in Tennessee, similar to what we're seeing all over the country. In Tennessee, we were in Murfreesboro, Franklin, Johnson City, Greenville, um, Knoxville, all over the state from middle to east Tennessee. And what we saw were indivisible groups, most of whom started out right after the 2016 election to focus on their elected officials, their members of Congress, uh, to get them to fight things like the repeal of the Affordable Care Act or the Trump tax scam. But that was last year. Now they are endorsing candidates. Now they are registering folks to vote. Now they're knocking on doors and making calls, which is exactly what they should be doing. So to see this happening in deep red and rural areas as much as it is really just gives me a ton of hope. The the folks in Tennessee, the folks in Texas who we talk to, they're not taking the blue wave for granted, and they shouldn't be because it's not something that's going to happen automatically. They are actively building the blue wave every single week. Well, it's interesting to hear you talk about that transition between the kind of work that we were doing pre-election season and now, because you talk about that in the guide as being local defensive advocacy. And so that you, that really yeah. sort of addresses how that tactic sort of translates into winning elections. So let's unpack the the guide here. 
uh, I, I, the guide is divided into three chapters. And the first is about why voter contact wins elections. The second is about how to best establish and maintain that voter contact. And then the last is all about GOTV, getting out the vote. Uh, the title of the first chapter is Why Volunteer Voter Contact Wins Elections. And, you know, it seems clear on its face, but just broadly speaking, why is voter contact, volunteer voter contact so effective? So this is not just our opinion. This is not just a, a lofty ideal. Study after study, campaign after campaign finds that literally nothing is more impactful than voters talking to voters, and especially voters from one community talking to voters in that same community. This is why we put such an emphasis on this. Uh, a lot of times we'll say the top three things you should do in an election season are number one, knock on doors, number two, knock on doors, and number three, knock on doors. <laughs> and it's because it is so impactful. There is nothing that works better for identifying the voters you need to get out in November and then actually getting them out than making calls and knocking on doors to do that. And the guide really details that uh, in depth. And of course, we'll have a link to the guide on the website here. But, you know, there's a passage on how to best persuade an undecided voter. And, you know, in the primary, uh, we've had people who were out uh, trying to get somebody to maybe choose one Democrat over another. And you're targeting Democratic voters, and it's a little more straightforward. But, you know, when you're talking to an independent voter who's maybe vacillating between a Democrat and a Republican, what's the best approach with that kind of conversation? Yeah. So one of the really great things about Indivisible is that what we are made up of, this movement is made up of, is people in communities who were not necessarily tied to one particular party or one particular interest group. They're citizens. They're, they're constituents. They're people who are represented by their elected officials and want to see their elected officials represent them. And so when you're going door to door or when you're phone banking for a candidate, best thing you can say is, I'm with Indivisible. I'm just a constituent just like you, and I'm trying to represent my values and make my voice heard. Here's what I care about. What do you care about? The great thing about uh, phone banking oh, – can you hear that ambulance in the background? <laughs> yeah, it's totally fine. <laughs> uh, no, this is an emergency. So that amb- those, <laughs> There you go. No, those, it's those perfect, perfect timing on cue. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the great thing about phone banking, the great thing about canvassing, going door to door, is you can actually engage in a conversation. It's something that's not possible with television advertisements or postcards or, or other one-way mechanisms for getting in touch with voters. But you can actually make people feel seen and feel heard because they are being heard. Very rarely in the communities we were knocking doors in or phone banking in in Tennessee and Texas were those doors knocked. Many people – on uh, even in democratic politics, often write off large swaths of the population and think, well, those people aren't folks that we need to talk to or get out. And the advantage of doing this as part of Indivisible is you're able to talk to everybody and just talk about the things that you care about and find out what they care about. That's the best way we've seen for engaging folks who are undecided. Because if you get this out of a, you know, this is a red versus blue phenomenon and just talk about what people care about in their own communities, that's a way to open them up. And it's one of the reasons why we see Indivisible. There are Democrats, there are independents, there are Republicans that are part of these groups, because what unifies us is not thinking that this administration represents the best of what America has to offer. And the values that we hold are across the ideological spectrum. It doesn't need to be just a Republican versus Democratic thing. So find the commonality and, and ultimately make it personal is what you're saying. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, so the, ch- the second chapter is called Voter Tactics That Win Elections. Um, and the first thing that you emphasize here is in making sure that people are registered. And I know that uh, you guys have partnered with TurboVote to help with this. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is really exciting. So what we've launched are um, actually individual websites. If you're an indivisible group, you can get an individual website to set up your own TurboVote uh, voter registration platform. This means your indivisible group will get a page where you can go through and register voters in your own community. So this isn't uh, something that you have to just do individually, but you can be part of the broader indivisible movement to do that. And this is the time to do it. You know, right now in this moment, the two things that we're putting a lot of energy in are one, registering voters, and two, IDing the voters who are out there, which is to say talking to folks and figuring out which candidates they want to support, which then will allow us to have a big, victorious get-out-the-vote effort in November. Right, right. And of course, uh, Indivisible has also endorsed a number of candidates, so that's going to make it easier, I think, for people in particular districts uh, when they're out there kind of pushing on behalf of some of these terrific candidates that uh, I know that you have vetted. Um, You know, you also say that when you are establishing contact with voters, that this is an opportunity to potentially recruit volunteers volunteers. What should people look for in a potential volunteer in that in that regard? Yeah, so it's actually been incredible knocking on doors and making calls in, in Texas and Tennessee uh, over these past few weeks, because, you know, I've been uh, doing this kind of volunteer work for a decade or so. Lee's been doing it for even longer. And normally at this stage in the election cycle, what you're doing is talking to sporadic Democratic or progressive voters or independents to try to figure out who, who are the folks who are going to vote for your candidate. Um, and then once you figure that out later in the cycle, you can actually turn them out to vote. Now, in your script, when you're talking to folks, you're talking about what they care about. You're talking about uh, the issues that are driving you to support the candidate that you're knocking on doors for. And always at the end of it, if this is a supporter, you say, hey, would you like to volunteer? And frankly, normally in normal years, very, very few people are actually willing to give up hours of their day uh, to do that. You know, people are busy. They have a lot of things on their plate. And yet when I was knocking on doors in Tennessee and we were making calls in, in Texas, the number of people who are so incensed right now who do not just want to vote in November what, but want to know what they can do, what doors can they knock, what calls can they make um, is really incredible. I, I think it is outside the norm for uh, a normal election year. And so basically the number one thing you need, you need a constituent who's willing to give up some time. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds often like they're going to be self-identifying, that they're going to flat out say, what can I do? Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would say that pretty much everything about what is happening in politics right now is outside the norm. So, <laughs> you know, that's Indeed. one of the things that's motivating us to uh, to get out the vote. Um, so, uh, you know, Chapter 2 also covers how to canvas, how to phone bank, even do peer-to-peer texting for those of us uh, who are introverts. That might be can useful say, for you. Uh, can I say one more thing on the on the canvassing and phone yeah, banking. Yeah, I will course. say yeah, Lee and I are, are both introverts. We, we play extroverts on TV, but that's about as far as we go. Um, <laughs> I think for a lot of folks, I mean, you know, we, we started this by writing a Google Doc, um, which then became uh, like spread, spread like wildfire. We sure. didn't expect to have to go out and uh, give speeches to crowds and uh, be out in public all the time. And that can be a scary thing for people, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, doing something new can be scary. And I know when people 
first um, early last year, were starting to go to congressional district offices and make calls to their their members of Congress. What we heard a lot of was, uh, can, can I actually do this? Am I allowed to do this? And do I need to have all the answers? What what script do I need? What what policy information I need? And what we found was if you get people over that initial hump, if you could make a first call or go to the district office the first time, then your fears would be dispelled because it's actually not that scary when you get out and start doing it. And we're seeing the exact same phenomenon right now. Many folks who started out last year by calling their member of Congress or going to a district office are now making a call to a voter for the first time or knocking on doors for the first time. And, you know, that first time it's going to be a little bit scary. And some people are going along with friends or people who have done it a a few times before to, to make it a little bit less scary. That's great. But I guarantee you, once you actually get out in the real world, make a call to a voter or knock on the door of a voter and have that conversation, you'll find out it's way better to talk to voters than it is members of Congress. So I would encourage anybody listening to this to take the plunge, get outside your comfort zone just a little bit, knock on a door or two, make a call or two, and I think you're going to have a good time. You know, and I can attest to that. I mean, it does sort of build its own momentum. And I am a, uh, a Class A, capital I, introvert. INTJ, actually. Yeah. Oh, actually, me and Leah are too. Oh, We're both INTJs. I, I seem to meet a lot of us in, uh, in the, <laughs> the Indivisible movement. Well, so let's talk about the last chapter, and that is about getting out the vote. And obvious for obvious reasons, that's, that's supremely important. And, you know, turning out the vote is, is a real art. And this has historically been a big challenge for Democrats in midterms. And so before we sort of unpack some of the strategies and tactics, that you lay out. Why do you suppose, in your experience uh, in Washington as a staffer, that Dems have uh, usually turned out in fewer numbers in midterms? Yeah, well, I mean, there there is a real problem. We, we were out in Tennessee, uh, and I was talking to voters out there. The percentage of Tennesseans who turned out to vote in the last midterm election was roughly one quarter. Three quarters of eligible Tennesseans did not turn out to vote. And that that low statistic is replicated all across the country. Now, part of this is because people really turn out for the president. They recognize that the presidency is really impactful. But one thing that really encourages me about the indivisible movement is that it is based on this basic idea that Donald Trump and really any president is not in control of the agenda, that unilaterally, there is little that the president can do to pass legislation and to pass massive changes to how government works, that in fact, that agenda setting power and that legislative power lies with Congress. It lies with your two senators and your one representative. And so one benefit of the indivisible movement is educating folks across the country that, in fact, these midterm elections are incredibly important. The midterm election will determine whether we use the subpoena power of Congress to actually hold this president in check. It will determine whether we get his tax returns on day one or not. It will determine whether or not they come at our health care to try to gut it yet again in 2019, or if we're able to go on offense and pass a bold progressive vision in contrast to this administration. So I think that educational aspect of Indivisible will help us. People are understanding that it's not just all about Donald Trump. It's about what your elected officials in Congress are going to do. Um, and the, the second thing I would say is it's no accident that election turnout is so low across the country. Now, there there is this, this educational disconnect, but beyond that, there is an active effort by the other side to decrease turnout yeah. because they recognize that the harder they make it to vote and the fewer people that vote, the more likely they are to maintain power. And we see that even in this administration, 
immediately gone after uh, the the Voting Rights Act. They've immediately gone after uh, disenfranchising as many people as possible. They've cut funding for election security. Their goal is to get people to not care and not vote. So we have to work against that. Um, and one of the things that I see unifying indivisibles across the country, folks who care about health care, they care about the environment, they care about immigrants, they care about taxes. But the one unifying thing I hear everywhere all across the country I go is they care about the basic state of American democratic institutions. And I think that's right. I think in order for us to pass the, the bold vision for the future we want to see from Congress, we have to ensure that our democracy is representative of the people. And that means fixing our election system. And so I, I am confident that the indivisibles across the country are actively building this blue wave. And I look forward to January 2019 when we see them holding their Democratic elected officials accountable for improving the sanctity of our elections. I think that's possible, um, but we've got to pressure them to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're very succinctly laying out the many reasons why the Dems should be fired up about turning out in this year's uh, midterm. And, you know, to that list, I'll add uh, the many down ballot races that are also important, especially the legislative races, because the 2020 census is coming up and we definitely want state state houses in Democratic hands to undo a lot of the Republican gerrymandering. So that's important. Um, You talk about two weeks prior to the election really being go time for getting out the vote. And you recommend at that point targeting just two groups of voters during that period. So who are they? Yeah. So that's uh, the the two groups of voters are uh, voters who are with you already. They're, they've uh, you've ID'd them as Democratic voters, voters behind your candidate. But you've also ID'd them as voters who don't turn out all the time. And so we, we refer these uh, to these folks as sporadic Democratic voters. Right. And the reason why you need to get them out is because, you know, that if you get them out to the polls, they're going to vote your way. Um, so you absolutely need to focus on them. Uh, and then the second group are just voters who, whether they voted Democratic in the past or not, through your canvassing efforts, through your texting efforts, through your phone making efforts, you've identified they're going to support the candidate you're you're trying to get to win. And so you got to get them out to vote. So the basic logic here, it's not rocket science, is you need to identify who's with you and then you need to get them out to the polls. So you're not bothering with people who always show up, you know, Democratic voters, voters who are always showing up uh, for your candidate. You don't need to uh, focus your efforts on getting them out to vote because they're going to get themselves out to vote. Similarly, folks who are just diehard Trump supporters who are absolutely against with a D next to their name, you don't need to focus your efforts on them either. You're, the, the chance to change their minds is long past. You should be focusing on the folks who are actually with you and getting them out to the polls. And then just finally, you emphasize using specific language to persuade these particular voters to actually vote. So briefly, what are the do's and don'ts here? Well, so th- there are a few things to keep in mind. Um, I think actually, so in that, in the we have a, a sample get out the vote script to really walk people through step by step what works to um, talk to folks. And one thing that's really interesting, it's a it's kind of a, a, a well uh, documented uh, psychological tactic is to let people know that whether or not they vote is part of public record. Uh, because people may or may not actually turn out to vote, but if they know that other folks in their community are going to know whether or not they turn out, they are more likely to turn out because they don't want other people in their community to, to know that they're not doing their civic duty. Sure. Um, so passing on the information that they uh, that that is indeed public knowledge is actually a really effective tool for increasing turnout in your target community. 
Excellent. Well, A Practical Guide for Winning Elections is available at indivisible435.org, and I will have links for all of that for you guys at indivisiblepodcast.org and on the SoundCloud page. But Ezra Levin, it has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for all you do, and thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you all for building up the movement. Happy to be of service any way I can. And it is time for our weekly calls to action with Indivisible Washington's 8th District team leader, Stephen Wilhelm. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm good, man. So uh, first, since we just talked with Ezra Levin about getting out the vote, let's start with some upcoming opportunities for people this weekend in Issaquah. What's going on? You bet. Um, this Sunday in uh, Issaquah, there's a couple of uh, canvassing opportunities, uh, one in Issaquah, one in Issaquah Highlands on, on Sunday. And then also, if folks want, they can register voters at the Issaquah Farmers Market on Saturday. So those are kind of the two um, get-out-the-vote or voter contact opportunities we've got this weekend. Excellent. And of course, as always, I will have links for that up on the website and on the SoundCloud page. Uh, and then I, I think it's a good time for us to revisit the push against Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation for the Supreme Court. And this is timely in light of Susan Collins meeting with Kavanaugh on Tuesday and assuring his assuring her that uh, he feels that Roe v. Wade is, quote, settled law. I think we've we've heard that phrase before. What can people do around this? Um, there are several things that they can do. Probably one of the one of the big things that we can do just to generate uh, some visibility about how much their energy there is behind this is uh, NARAL is having a lot of rallies this weekend, and one of those rallies is here in Seattle on Sunday at noon. So uh, folks can uh, RSVP for that at uh, act.moveon.org. Um, but if that's not convenient for them for some reason, there's also um, rallies going on in other places, uh, mostly over on the Olympic Peninsula, Bainbridge Island, Kingston, and Bremerton are also having um, rallies um, opposing Kavanaugh's nomination this weekend. Excellent. Uh, you know, I should also mention that there is a resource for people to sign up and do some out-of-state phone banking with Indivisible, and that is indivisible.org slash save hyphen SCOTUS. And there's also a similar resource from moveon.org, right? That, that's exactly right. Yeah, I've, I've used uh, that indivisible phone banking um, resource a couple of times. And I, I think it's really effective and, and very easy, but exactly right. You can sign up to talk to uh, progressive voters in swing states and uh, try and persuade them to uh, call their senators. Um, but if phone banking's not your thing, um, if you would rather move on.org has got a, a link where you can just sign up to uh, text people and does the exact same thing, but doesn't, doesn't require you to talk to them on the phone. And also, uh, we know that Senator Patty Murray has uh, not only committed to voting no on Kavanaugh, but has been very, very vocal, uh, particularly on Twitter, about her opposition to Kavanaugh. But uh, we have another senator. Yeah, exactly right. And and Patty uh, Murray is certainly demonstrating the kind of behavior that we would like to see. And so we want to encourage uh, Senator Cantwell to do the same thing. And in fact, there may even have been a little bit of confusion. I've, I've traded uh, a few notes with a couple of people that said, well, Senator Cantwell has already come out in opposition, hasn't she? And the short answer is no. What she has done is she has identified some concerns that she has and some reasons why um, she's not sold on uh, Mr. Kavanaugh as a nominee. But it, so when you look at how she's categorized, she's categorized as lean, no, whereas uh, Senator Murray's categorized as firmly opposed. And we want to get 
Senator uh, Cantwell in the same category. We really need her to come out and forcefully say that um, I've seen enough information. I don't have to wait for the hearings. I don't need to wait for um, all the documents that the Democrats are trying to produce. We know right now, by virtue of the fact of his previous statements, previous public statements, and the fact that he's on this list of 25 judges that uh, Donald Trump thinks are acceptable, Senator Kenwell, you should already know, just like Senator Murray knows, he just is not acceptable. And we need you to firmly come out and say that you will not vote for him. That's that's what we're trying to get um, her constituents to call her and, and lobby her to do. Okay. We are also this week asking our members of Congress to investigate corruption at the Department of Veterans Affairs, uh, specifically regarding how the VA has reportedly been under undue influence from three guests at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, tell us about that and what we can be doing. Yeah, this is something that's near and dear to my heart because I'm a veteran. But in fact, I think everybody should be concerned about it. I'll I'll explain why. So so in fact, there's a couple of things that are going on. You um, described really well this um, uh, potential corruption with uh, people that just happen to be friends of Donald Trump's that happen to pay $200,000 a year to um, be members of his uh, Mar-a-Lago club in Florida. They have been um, lobbying the Veterans Administration on all manner of things from personnel decisions to um, what software they should use for their electronic voting records to other things. And, and uh, you know, this is bad for a couple of reasons, both because these guys just happen to be friends of Donald Trump, so they have access by virtue of, of their money and who they know. But also there's no oversight over what these guys are doing. Um, they, they can't be called in front of Congress to testify because they're not government employees. They're just <laughs> somebody no different than you or me, except for their money. Right. So, um, but not only is that going on, but in fact, so so there was a really great arg- article in ProPublica about that issue. But there was also a couple of articles in, um, I think it was NPR um, and another publication that um, the, the there's a, an act that uh, Congress passed called the Military Lending Act, and the. Uh, uh, CFPB, uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that Elizabeth Warren um, helped start, um, would do these proactive reviews of what predatory lenders were doing, payday lenders were doing to, um, you know, take advantage of inexperienced service people, and they were having some really great effect. Um, but the McMillvaney and the CFPB has decided that they don't need to um, keep doing those proactive reviews. They'll just wait for inexperienced people to call and complain that they've got a problem. So um, I would say this is really important for folks to call their representatives about for three reasons. Number one, um, this just demonstrates that even people that Donald Trump supposedly cares about, veterans, he doesn't care about their health care any more than he doesn't care about uh, your health care. Number two, um, this is just an example, another example of corruption. You know, friends of Donald Trump are able to sway the government just by virtue of the fact that they they donate money to him and they they happen to know him. Um, And the third thing is, you know, here's a group of people that it would be real easy for Republicans to stand up and and, uh, stand up for. You know, these aren't um, immigrants. These aren't poor people. These ought to be right in Republicans' wheelhouse. And they're not standing up to Donald Trump and speaking out 
uh, against this corruption um, and taking advantage of uh, people that have uh, served the country. So what we need to do is we need uh, to get folks to call their Republican uh, members of Congress, and we need to get them to call their senators um, so that uh, members of Congress can investigate uh, this, this corruption. Absolutely. And then looking ahead, there are a few things coming up next week. Uh, The first is an upcoming government funding bill, and then there's expected to be a ruling on DACA. So we will check back in with you on all of that uh, next week. Stephen, as always, thanks so much, man. Thank you, Stephen. I enjoyed it. And finally this week, we are joined by our friend Aaron Albanese for our activist calendar of events. Hello, Aaron. Hey, Stefan. So I just want to start by reiterating what Stephen Wilhelm just talked about. There are going to be a number of rallies across the state against the Kavanaugh nomination. Uh, They're happening on Sunday, August 26th. So if you're looking for an event near you, I will have a link for you to check out. But let's talk about some fundraisers. Uh, first, there's going to be an event for state reps Tana Sen and Milan Tai on Thursday, the 23rd. So tell us about that. This is exciting. It's featuring our celebrity Washington Attorney General, Bob Ferguson. Mm -hmm. Um, It's in Newcastle, Washington at Aegeus Gardens, located at 13056 Southeast 76th Street, Thursday, August 23rd from 5 o'clock to 6.30 p.m. Okay. And I will have uh, information for people to RSVP. We've got an email address and a phone number as well. Um, Now, also, there are uh, a number of upcoming events on behalf of immigrants here in the state, which I think it's just very important for us to really stay on top of the situation because it is in no way resolved. Uh, The first is going to be at the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma. So tell us about that. It's a busy week of post-primary action and activism, for sure, and a lot of it centered around immigration. Um, So the event at the Northwest Detention Center is a pilgrimage en masse. It's hosted by St. Joseph's Parish in Seattle and St. Leo's Parish in Tacoma. It's Saturday, August 25th. Um, At 9 o'clock a.m., you can take a carpool from the St. Joseph's parking lot at 732 18th Avenue East in Seattle, or just meet at the Northwest Detention Center. Center at 710 South 13th Street in Tacoma. Okay, great. And likewise, on that listing, I also have uh, a place where you can RSVP, an email address, and a phone number. And I will just say uh, that if you're interested in going, uh, you might want to do that sooner rather than later to reserve a seat on the bus because space is limited. And then on Sunday, August 26th, there's going to be another protest down at the SeaTac prison facility. So uh, what can you tell us about that? This event is hosted by NWDC Resistance. It's a Solidarity Day, and it's at the SeaTac Federal Prison, located in SeaTac at uh, 2425 South 200th Street. That's Sunday, August 26th from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m., Uh, Northwest Detention Center Resistance says it's been over two months since ICE started transferring detained immigrants to SeaTac Federal Detention Center, and ICE continues to use this prison as an overflow facility. Join us outside the SeaTac prison to demand an end to ICE's contract here and an end to all detention and deportation. And, you know, um, starting on Monday, uh, this is the first that I've heard of an event like this, Uh, an organization in Seattle is participating in a rolling hunger strike on behalf of separated families. And this is rolling from city to city and it's coming to Seattle. Uh, Tell us more about that. That is taking place at the ICE office in downtown Seattle. 102 Second Avenue. 
And it's a national rolling hunger strike began on July 30th and um, has continued across the country in protest of the government's abuse and incarceration of migrant families. And this will be taking place um, from Monday, August 27th to Sunday, August 29th. And there's uh, no need to actually participate in the fast. If you're not so moved, you can just go and um, offer support and solidarity. And um, there's a website. SolidarityHungerStrike.com for more information. Okay, great. Uh, and then finally, there's going to be an upcoming event in Seattle commemorating Martin Luther King's March on Washington, which is where he gave his I Have a Dream speech. Um, what can you tell us about that? It's the 55th anniversary of the MLK March on Washington, and Mount Zion Baptist Church is hosting an event at 1634 19th Avenue in Seattle, Tuesday, August 28th from 5.15 p.m. to 8.30. This is uh, spearheaded by the Brotherhood Ministry in consortium with local and regional social justice and interfaith organizations commemorating the 1963 March on Washington. The event starts at 515 with a symbolic march and continues through 830. The event program features keynote speaker and presentations by Seattle City Council President Bruce Harrell and Washington State Labor Council AFL-CIO Secretary Treasurer Lynn Dobson. Also, an appearance will be made by uh, Seattle's brand new police chief, Carmen Best. Excellent. Yeah. So there's a ton of stuff going on this week. And as always, I will have all of the links available for people on the SoundCloud page and also at indivisiblepodcast.org. But Aaron, thank you for compiling all this. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. For links to everything we talk about here on the show, you can go to indivisiblepodcast.org. You can also subscribe to the show there, too. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com, and the Twitter handle is at indivisiblepod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to my guest, Ezra Levin. Thank you again to Stephen Wilhelm and Aaron Albanese. My special thanks to Emily Phelps and Abby Porter. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.